Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode six of 35 Minutes with a Classmate. I'm Gabe Malika. You know that already. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. We are moving along. We are going into all types of different classmates to talk to. And when I started the podcast, you know, I do stand up in New York. That's what I run around doing, particularly in the before times. And, you know, everybody has a podcast. And I used to even have a joke in the bio that I would submit to things where it'd be like, Gabe has done this, Gabe has done that. And then the final line was always, he does not have a podcast because everyone has one. And so when I started one, I thought, wouldn't it be funny to just never interview a comedian, to just only talk to people who aren't delusional, crazy people. But the truth is, like, I love talking to comedy people. I love because I and I think it's one, I love funny people. But two, the fun thing about comedians is at their best. There are people who run around like mining their lives and their observations and their thoughts for for useful things. And I that's who I am. Like that's what I love to do. I am since 2014 really, I don't really go anywhere without my notebooks. And so I really relate to other people who try to live their lives that way, to write everything down, um, to try to find meaning in minutia and in the big stuff too. And so today's guest bridges my gap between high school classmate and comedian because today's guest is the very funny Dino DiMartino. Um, It's a great episode. I can't wait for you guys to listen to it. Uh, But two announcements. One is that comedy's back Thursdays, seven o'clock, the laughter times at QED. Um, We don't have lineups yet, but they're coming and it is starting on the 29th will be the first one. They're all going to sell out, I'd imagine, because um, we're at somewhat limited capacity in the in the backyard. Uh, but I'm hosting and I'm producing, and so uh, that's really exciting. So check that out. And two, if you've been enjoying the podcast, and I know some of you have, just throw it up in your Instagram story. It's the world's easiest thing. I had lots of nice, kind people do that for me this week. AJ is always good for that. Uh, Melissa Johnson threw it up this week, which I really appreciated. Uh, my buddy Gary always does that. So please, uh, please do that. It's really helpful. Nick, you guys know who you are, the people who are throwing it up. So please do that if you like it. Um, it really helps me out a lot. And I'm learning, you know, I'm learning how to share it because I want more people to listen to it. Um, because I believe in it. And I think the conversations are worthy of more people hearing them, if I do say so myself. Uh, we have one quick ad. <laughs> well, yeah, we have one ad this week. I don't want to say it's quick necessarily, but it is one ad. And uh, it contains a uh, the ending of a movie. So if you haven't seen this movie, once we start talking about it, just uh, fast forward and you'll be good to go. But if you haven't seen this movie, uh, stop listening to the podcast and turn it on. So here is the ad. 35 Minutes with a Classmate is brought to you by the last scene from There Will Be Blood. The last scene from There Will Be Blood, quote, I drink your milkshake, I drink it up. In the climactic final scene, Eli Sunday has come to ask Daniel Plainview for money in exchange for leasing the Brady Ranch, which Eli believes has oil underneath it. Daniel pretends to agree to the lease, but only if Eli first admits that he is a false prophet and that God is a superstition. Eli, who has predicated his church on his ability to commune with the Holy Spirit, yet is desperate for money, willingly shouts out that he is a false prophet and that God is, in fact, a superstition. 
Daniel then reveals that any oil beneath the Brady Ranch has been drained since Daniel's neighboring wells have already tapped the same oil reserve. Daniel subsequently beats Eli to death with a bowling pin, but not before explaining to the previously unbeknownst oil drainage to Eli, using the following analogy. Here, if you have a milkshake, and I have a milkshake, and I have a straw, and my straw reaches across the room and starts to drink your milkshake, I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. That's the final scene from There Will Be Blood. My sister Kay calls my impression of that Daniel Gay Lewis as opposed to Daniel Day Lewis. There it is. The final scene from There Will Be Blood. Thank you so much for whoever uh, submitted that ad. I appreciate it. I will continue to read your ads for free. Just send me a message. But without further ado, the very funny Dino DiMartino. He's hilarious. We talk about some heavy things, including drug use, including recovery. Um, and there's a lot to learn and there's a lot to understand about a huge problem in this country. And Dino, I just so appreciated how honest and thoughtful and uh, himself he was during this interview. He's um, he's kind of the best. Uh, so please follow him on Twitter and Instagram. You know, he's a comedian also. So like every follow makes us feel like our careers aren't over. So uh, give Dino a follow and, uh, and enjoy the ride because he really takes you through it. And I appreciate his honesty. And I know you will too. Everyone listening, Dino DiMartino, everyone. How's it going, Dino? What's going on, Gabe? Can you hear me? I can, yeah. Okay, good. This is only my second time using this mic. Well, welcome to the uh, new mic. What are you, you doing Zoom shows? I, um, I've done like two, but this is, it was just like I saw it and I bought it. It was, you kind of, it. it was my way of like declaring to myself that I'm back at it. Yeah. yeah. I love it because we don't have equipment. No, I had no equipment. I used to have um, a podcast with John Donovan and Robbie Leon, but um, it was all John's equipment. So I never actually bought any for myself because we were mm -hmm. always using his. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm just like new to the whole tech. I was like the kid in the place. So like I was like, what am I ever going to need to know stage crew stuff? And now it's like, wouldn't it be nice? <laughs> yeah, have a just even a modicum of training. Yeah, even a little. I was not prepared for the end of the world, even from a comedic standpoint. Yeah. Um, but thank you for doing this, Dino. This is, um, welcome to my podcast. Um, I don't know if you, if you looked at the description, but the podcast is, is I'm talking to classmates. Yes. From I my that. life. And I don't really know why in the sense that like, I just started a podcast and I called it 35 minutes. And then like, people were like, talk to your classmates. And I was like, okay. Like people were responding to that aspect of it. Yeah. That's a novel structure. Cause usually it's like, I'm interviewing a comedian and we're, and it's about ostensibly about the science of comedy or, or for whatever reason, it's about like the French revolution. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. there's three comedians that have like, you know, nary lifted the lid of a book in two, in five years, six years. <laughs> And they're talking about Napoleon. Yeah. And they know. like, yeah, all the dates are wrong. Yeah. And yeah. You're listening, I don't even know anything about the French Revolution, but I know more than these guys. Yeah. This can't be right. It just, just because one of them has a mic doesn't mean 
Right. It we should not have to listen to this. Yeah. Um, which is, it's also funny, you know, because I was like, when I started, I was like, oh, I'm not going to talk to any comedians because like, that's funny to me. Right. Like, wouldn't it be funny if I didn't talk to any comedians? And I was like, Dino's the perfect gap between having a fun uh, comedy conversation, but also just like, we went to high school. We can talk about freaking GC baseball or whatever. Yeah. uh, Me or Mike Mancusi, we're the only two. That's right. That's right. And Sean Donnelly, our Lord and Savior. Sean Donnelly went to Garden City High School? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm breaking news right now. Yeah. Dude, I've met him so many times. Like, I have, <laughs> like, I know, I don't, I wouldn't say we're like buds, but I know yeah. him. Like, I've yeah. met him. Yeah. Whoa, that's crazy. I should have, yeah. Jesus. Next time I, I like, see him, I got to tell him. Our moms go to church together. That's crazy. Well, what's your, St. Joe's or St. Saint, uh, Saint Anne's? Ugh, yuck. I know. Now, yeah, yeah. it's off. I'm out of here. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, she was like, I was getting, sean donnelly updates like even like right before i was starting mm-hmm. where like from secondhand from like a mom perspective where mom was like yeah like sean's talking a lot about trump and his mom's <laughs> not happy <laughs> that's really funny yeah it made me laugh um okay so dino so i um i wrote down a few things and we sure. can i just love to talk about so you were two years older than me in yeah. school, which if you remember the people who were older than you in school, I just assumed everyone who was older than me for the most part was like on a pedestal, right? You know, when you're in school. Yeah, yeah. That feeling. Um, we're like, they're cool. Right. And my first memory of you, do you, do you remember my friend AJ? My friend AJ was always like, Dino's the man. Okay, wait, wait. Can we back up? Because I actually have a funny I told this to my, my girlfriend this morning and yeah. she found it very funny. So yeah. when the first time I saw you out at like mics or something like that. Yeah. You were like, hey, Dino. And I was like, what's up, man? And then I just like kept moving. Because I didn't, like I recognized you, but it didn't click for me where I knew you from. Sure, because of course. like, it's a mic. So it's like, I, I just got up on stage and said my name very, like, you know what I mean? I, my name was announced in the same way anyone else's would be. So yeah. um, I was just like, I, like it, it didn't even occur to me that I might not know you from comedy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So then, I look like everyone else who does it. Well, no, it's it's not that. It's more just like <laughs> I know I recognize you, and we're sure. in a place that the context of which suggests this is where I know you from. Yeah. So, um, it took I think one or two more times where you like I think maybe even realized that I hadn't kind of like it clicked. It didn't really click for me. So you started talking about someone that's not a comedian that went to our high school. Um, mm-hmm. Liam, like my yeah. very good friend, Liam. Yeah. and I was just like, oh shit, Dave, <laughs> I know you from high school. Uh, cause the whole time I was just like, yeah, he's just like a really friendly comedian. He's very, I like, <laughs> like immediate fast friends, casual guy. And which truly like, is not even my deal. I like, I like, like, like four people and I stick with them. <laughs> yeah. It was so funny. I just could, I literally, I had you pegged for just i know you from comedy friendly guy that's so funny yeah um yeah i must have brought up so yeah that's how i that was sort of how i bridged the gap that's just like how i knew you from high school i really truly i don't think we ever interacted i just knew that you maybe not i'm not sure i mean because i was very tight with liam then and you knew each other pretty well Mm -hmm. yeah if you saw any of the plays that he was in like i was his chubby counterpart did not see a single one well you know what (laughs) honestly like (laughs) no everyone listening to this podcast has probably seen me to play so this is a fun place to catch up let's talk about all my roles yeah let's hear them um it's uh 
Yeah. So, so I knew you truly, my buddy was like, that's Dino and at Garden City GCAA baseball. Yeah. And, um, you were just this kid who could do a cartwheel. Yeah. And I was dude. like, Yo, that's legit. The cartwheel was like my go-to bit from like, no joke from when I was like, from like the year 2000 to like 2000, probably from whenever I quit heroin. That's kind of like, I quit heroin, <laughs> I stopped doing cartwheels. Yeah. I kind of, I was just like, I'm an adult now, you know, like a demarcation line. Yeah. yeah. And people usually like, quit them together. Yeah, I think it's a package deal. It's like um, leather and cocaine at 30. I think that's a very common, <laughs> you, you got to quit both at 30. Um, but I I, uh, I would always do cartwheels. Anytime there was a field or enough clearance for me to do one, it's because I was always, and I've lost a lot of weight, but I was traditionally a chubby man. I was like, a, yeah. you know, a little fat boy. And there's a really wonderful visual comedy of just seeing this fat, fat boy do like a pretty, I was always really agile. Yeah. Um, like, and I also like, I don't know, I think ultimately I've kind of long arms and short, like kind of like a monkey proportion. So I could do one, like, like one of the better cartwheels you've seen from an amateur, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody, it was a good branding exercise. I realized in retrospect, it was incredible because I looked at you. So, so as a, (laughs) I sort of talk about this sometimes on stage, which is like, I was a chubby kid. And so like, I like see it in someone's eyes when they like were also a chubby kid because it's like you like um i tell the story on stage where i went for a run once i was trying to lose weight to be in a play with liam i was supposed to play like a sex symbol and i was like i'm too chubby to be a sex symbol (laughs) and i started running twice a day and i run once at 10 in the morning and i'm running on saturday and then later that day i'm like i need to run again yeah and and, but during the first run i'm running past the uh, stewart manor train station and i see like a chubby adult and we give each other like the chubby guy wave, like, yeah. what's up, man? Like, yeah. we're out here. Everyone thinks we can't do it, like, whatever. And uh, so I go for my second run after seeing the chubby guy. And it's like six o'clock at night. And I see the chubby guy again at the exact same spot coming towards me. And we have this like real like chubby guy, like and he's, bond. He's running. He's not like just like loitering. Yeah. 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 He was he was on another run. Whoa. It was like really like chubby guy powerful yeah. stuff it, that, that's as much um connection as we can have that guy synchronicity you can the eyes it's very true i think there's something to be said i can almost always pick out because you 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 cease being fat but you never cease being fat do you know what mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. i think growing up fat you have to develop just like other skills because being a hot guy is just not it's not in the car. Like you can be handsome, you know what? You can be confident, but you got titties <laughs> and yeah. I, and people are mean and people are going to be ruthlessly mean about it. Um, yeah. yeah. Jack Black was like just becoming cool. <laughs> yeah, that was, I know. One we, second. Everyone, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Hey, I'm using this office right now. Sorry. I was, you have degrees behind you. And I was like, yeah, where? I'm, I'm in my dad's office. Oh, I, it's the I, only place that's quiet. That's really, I thought you were going to say I'm at the dentist. I was, <laughs> gonna, that's really funny. Yeah. That's yeah. so funny. Cause it's either this or the chihuahua barking that my parents found. Yeah. So I go with this. I'm moving back okay. in June, but for now, um, my dad's late in life law career. Um, Honestly, I think, you know, it's a good place to pod. Does it make majesty? Yeah, I think it's. Yeah. I think it's pretty good. You, like I think you're going to diagnose me with something with that shit behind you. 
if you only knew what my dad does, he does, he does a lot of things. It's, he's not diagnosing people. Unfortunately, he's uh he's, he's a horse lawyer. We can talk about oh this. Oh my God. What? Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he Harry's does. A lead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, we, we're going to talk about heroin, but yeah, he, um, yeah, he's a horse. He like he were he was a jockey agent for like jockeys, like a sports agent. Yeah, and then went to law school, and then he kind of married the two. What a what a man! A jockey agent. How do you get into? Is he a is he a very he a short de- man? He wasn't a degenerate. He would gamble in high school and yeah. college, and he graduated college, and then was just like, I'll work on the racetrack in like the office. Well, and then all like the the guys who were making money was like, they're agents. I can do that. And he did that. I'll send you the New York Times article. It's great. That's amazing. Dude, I come from a like a horse family in the scumbag sense, too. Like my, my grandpa, degenerate gambler. And then my dad, because of this like weird bond he had with his like the few things they actually like shared in life was a jo- like the joy of going to and betting on a horse race. So yeah. my dad bought racehorses and i grew up every sunday we would go to either belmont we would go to aqueduct we would go to where and then also whatever like the various like you know stables he had them at and yeah. we just like i would feed a racehorse an apple off my hand as a five-year-old and then like on sundays just like navigate the the sea of scumbags this little boy at a racetrack people bet in the house yeah. um and was my life yeah, my dad's horse race. I, but like, I would just go, like when we, they won a couple of times while I was there, I got to go down to the winner's circle. And nobody, by the way, is like, hey, it's weird that a child's here. They were all like, here's like, like the, the jockeys used to give me their goggles off their faces. And yeah. mind you, this is a like a jockey's face sweat is in this. And I would just put it right on. And my dad was like, that's good. <laughs> Making that's memories. Amazing. Yeah. Um, but that's so funny. What a great story. Yeah, that's crazy. Do you know that? How God, chubby Italian boys. Do you remember any of the jockeys' names? Because they were probably my dad's client. There's one I remember, and it's just because it was a nickname. Everybody called him Chop Chop. Yeah, yeah. Um, he wasn't brutal. my dad's, but um, uh, Jorge Chavez. Yeah, Jorge Chavez. Yeah, he was, he was real little. Brutal. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ch- uh, he's still. You know, he's like still riding. How? I know. He's real old. Yeah, I was gonna say he wasn't like a young man in 1996 when I met nope. him. Nope. Yeah, he's like, I think he's in his 50s. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, Too chop, old. chop, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's cr- that's wild. His job was tough, right? Because you have to pick, as the agent, you like pick what horses your jockey will ride. Oh. Like 10 times a day. Like that's what his job was. He's like a like a, like a a movie, like an actor agent. What movies is this guy going to be? But it's just like what? what so eight he races up with the owner-trainer combo? Yes. And it's all what he prepared him for law school was that it's all verbal, non-written contracts. So they can basically be broken at any time. And you're just like doing it on the fly. Um, And eventually he got out of it. And now I'm in a horse law office. Now you're in the law offices of horse and horse Esquire. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's amazing. Good. I mean, by the way, Long Island's a great place to be that because you got uh, a couple of racetracks and then Finger Lakes aren't that far. Monmouth. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know them all. Yeah, Saratoga every summer. That's my... Saratoga. Um, have you ever been up there? Yeah. That's my favorite. I love it up there. It's great. Beautiful. Um, yeah. 
And I, then I worked at a summer camp up there. And so I went there, I lived there every summer as a child. And then as a camp counselor, I would be like, I know this area. It's like my home. Yeah. Uh, so I got to, yeah. And I would teach people, we would have a day, we would go to the races and I would hold out the form and be like, this is how you figure out who finished. Like, this is how you bet basically. And I would give a seminar. You know, my, my grandpa won, he, back in the day, they didn't do like a lottery, like a mm-hmm. traditional lottery that's state run. They were like illegal. And the way they would actually generate the numbers, because keep in mind, this is like 1968 yeah. or actually earlier than that, like 65 or something like that. They would generate the numbers by, it was the last, I think six or seven digits of all the dollars that were bet at that track that day. And the local bookie would actually like take the, the so you would bet on that number. And, you know, wow. it could be an infinite, it could be not infinite, but it could be whatever nine digits, you know, or seven digits or whatever it is. So, mm-hmm. you know, nine times, nine times, et cetera, um, yeah. or zero math's not my thing. Uh, you get the idea. Yeah. And one time my grandpa hit it and he, that's how he bought my grandma's house. That's amazing. Yeah. Hit the lotto. It, but it, was, it was the horse betting lotto. And I think even though it's an astronomical number to get, he won like $14,000. Yep. Yep. Which in the sixties is huge. It's, it's huge, but it's still like, if you want a traditional lottery, it would be even then 10 times that. Yes. Yes. The one good luck he ever had in his bad life. <laughs> well, it's so funny because I grew up with stories like that. Like those are just the stories my family would tell, which is have a pick six in racing is you got to pick six races in a row. Yeah. And so we would very casually refer to this butte. So I, as a kid, I got trumpet lessons from the bugler at the racetrack. That was my trumpet teacher. Whoa. Yeah. Sam the bugler. Um, but there was another bugler who, who the reason Sam got the job was because the old bugler quote, hit the pick six and moved to Arizona. Whoa. I mean, there must have been some long shots because the pick six like pays pretty good, but not mm-hmm. like move to Arizona. Good. Yeah. Yeah. It was, he hit it for move to Arizona money. Wow. And uh, it's just like kind of like an expression in my house. Like, Hey, I pit the pick six and moved to Arizona. Like that could mean like a million things. Right. 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 I moved on. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. funny. Yeah. Yeah. We like that one. Um, oh, that's so funny. Dino. Yeah. I mean, like I don't, so <laughs> it's so funny. Like making fun of Italian people is like internet culture and like, like I get it. And also I'm just like, but we are like, we're sweet people. We make I, sauce. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, I talk about this a lot. It's like one of the last, you can like pretty much say whatever you want about an Italian. And I think because now in 2021, there are many fewer options if you do want to make an observation like that. So I think I've noticed it's like, it's all Italian stuff now. All online. Okay. This is fun. The pizza connection. Have you ever heard of this? Tell me more. The landmark case against the Italian mafia in the, I think, 60s or 70s. Mm -hmm. I don't know that much about it. But pizza was not involved in the crimes. They just called it that because they were Italian. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. This is in legal textbooks. Your dad at horse law school might have read about this. That is a matter of court record. They call it the pizza connection. Yeah, everybody's a guinea. That's yeah, that's that's bonkers. And like unsurprising. And also like no one's trying to like lock us up or like do all the bad stuff. But also like I'm like, but we're nice. Like we do this, but like we're good people. I think it's fine. And that's why I also don't get like, I don't know. It's like my thing. I didn't realize, by the way, that like being 
Italian was like kind of a novelty of a thing until I went to college. Cause like mm. where we're from, it's just like, everybody's either like a, some sort of vile Mick or a Guinea. Yeah. Or actually you're in my case, both. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, when I went to college, like my friend at college's mom called me that Italian boy. Cause like, that's enough of a, you know what I mean? That yeah. I was in a situation where it was distinct enough that Italian could actually just describe me. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, of course, yeah. I mean, I think of the boys we went, like, the like in my year, I'm like, Fusco, Prevetti, Janone. Yeah. Like, I'm just like, oh, all the Italians are around. That's what I mean, like, all, dude, it was me, Tom Pavia, Mike Mancusi, Ali Zafonte. Those were, like, my best friends. And they yeah. were all, like, and then um, Kenny, my friend Kenny was not Italian. And Liam, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. Italian. And that was, like, it was something to note if you were my parents. Yeah. <laughs> that they're not Italian. Yeah. You're going to bring a non-Italian into this house. Yeah, no, not in like a negative, but they were like, what is, yeah. what is, you know what I mean? Not being an identifiable, like Kenny is like, like some crazy white person grab bag of like Russian, English, Irish, whatever. Mm-hmm. So like, um, not actually like they, they were the kind of white people where they didn't have any like, you know, actual ethnic thing to cling to. So everything was just like, it was like being a Dunkin' Donuts of a person, you know, like, like there's no, it's no space. You don't have a culture or a tradition. So it's all like, what are people know. into? What do people make, do for dinner? They make okay, like chili. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> Kenny's mom made like a very decent chili. It's the nicest thing I could say about him. <laughs> yeah. And I don't remember anything else. Cause it wasn't like, what, like on Monday, what's your mom making? All right. In yeah. my house it was tortellini. That's a beautiful thing. We start Christmas, even Thanksgiving with a little tortellini soup. That's like how we uh, begin the day. Brodo. That's, That's the right, shit. dog. Yeah. Hell we yeah. Stop doing the pre. We used to do the pre, no matter what it was, before anything else came out, there was a lasagna. That's like, amazing. Christmas, doesn't matter. Lasagna. Easter had a lasagna. Oh, yeah. And then lamb. And with the lamb, they also had pizza rustica, which is functionally lasagna. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. My it's so it's so funny. When I was a kid, we had like a bake sale. And my mom's like, I can't bake, but like, I can do other things. And so I showed up to this like bake sale with like baked ziti. Yeah, that's really funny. Okay, yeah. okay. who else is bringing baked ziti to a yeah. bake sale? That's amazing. Yeah, I think yeah. sold out. Who doesn't want baked ziti from a yeah, bake? Yeah, people are just like, yeah. Oh, and like the people who didn't get it were like, whatever. And the people who did get it were like, this is actually kind of sweet. This is amazing because it's like, yeah. how many bad brownies have I had for sixty five cents or whatever it is? This stupid ass thing. And I'm like, yeah, baked ziti, hell yeah. <laughs> I've been it's funny you bring that up I've been trying to write a bit it's just like I never even tried it like I just like have it in my notebook for years is that I work in a school now and I need some joke about how like like as a kid like a bake sale sweet but like as an adult working in the school like I am a billionaire like I could buy <laughs> like I could buy that 50 cents of brownie like you don't even know. know the prices yo what an so adult has. yeah I don't think I ever had like six dollars on my person until I was like you know 17 yeah yeah I'm like That's these a, idiots, they don't even know these fools what they have at their fingertips right now. That everyone's totally fine operating at a loss, and no one's capitalizing on this. Yeah, for like the key club or some shit. <laughs> the key club. I <laughs> oh, that, I lied about the key. I was I went to one key club meeting. It was Mr. Rivadu back then. Mm-hmm. Did not join. Did not do any of the paperwork to join. Put it on my college. Uh, put the uh, you know application. Nobody asks any questions. No one asks any questions. You, we're gonna hire a private investigator. They don't care. Too many kids. And it's truly my, right now my job is 
I help kids apply to college, like at, at my day job. And mm-hmm. like, I don't tell them to lie, but I'm like, you can say whatever you want. Like they, they're not looking it up. You should tell the truth, but like, <laughs> you should tell the truth, <laughs> but like, what, what, what are they going to do? Um, all right, Dino. So as, as I predicted, I was like, oh, if I talk to a comedian, like we'll talk about anything, which yeah. I am very happy to do. Can I ask you just like, <laughs> for the sake of the podcast, I'm like, can you tell me about you in high school? Like what oh. was your, in your own mind, like what was your deal? What was my deal? Okay. Tough question to answer. Of course. Um, I don't know. I suppose, well, I played baseball, Yeah. but that was never like, that's my thing. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't identify with team sports mm-hmm. the way that like someone that was like lacrosse was much bigger in our high school. I, I honestly think that it was just endemic to the baseball team that like, if you were on the baseball team, this was not with, with some exception, there were some kids that were actually like serious major league prospects. There were like, mm-hmm. a couple, but um, generally speaking, if you were on that baseball team, you were going to go to college to be an actuary or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there was no, we're not serious about this. Yeah. Um, yeah. So base also baseball, one of the great sports you can play while fat. Absolutely. Move on. Move on. A chubby I saw hero. Move on today on Twitter. Is it really? Do you really? I just I saw one like two hours ago. Oh, you saw one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah he's the best. Also, this is totally unrelated. Greg Vaughn, mm-hmm. I always thought was his brother, was actually his cousin. Wow. Okay. Even still, I'm sure big, day, big, uh, big career for the Vaughns. Big, big Vaughn family career. They're Vaughn. at the. He's at the picnic. Both Vaughns. He was uh, one of the few cases on steroids and very fat. Yeah. Wow. Talk about representation. Right? He covers two different communities. Yeah. But, but the, the the craziest part to me is like, buddy, either way, you're fat. Yeah. <laughs> Your priorities are just way off as a pro rules. athlete. Um, but anyway, I played baseball. Definitely would not identify with that. Um, mm-hmm. I was also – I had like a big metal phase in high school i was listening Mm -hmm. to a lot of which was it was weird because like my friends weren't oh interesting so i couldn't like you can't just like be a metal guy by yourself yeah it's a tough one i don't think i presented metal guy Mm. i did have i had a fair amount of corn t-shirts actually my my, uh my dad sent me a picture of me like like and i also you know you're at a concert you're not trying any of these shirts on i was buying a lot of shirts at a lot of concerts yeah not fit so yeah. I, I'm looking like a, you know, like a snowman, just like per, very visible lumps and rolls, yeah. making the hay in the corn look <laughs> almost unrecognizable, and the yeah. R looked like the opposite way. It was not a good look. So I was yeah. doing a lot of that, a lot of uh, listening to a lot of metal. Um, I didn't have like a drama thing. I mean, I guess I was in a band. We played show. I was in a band with Liam. Yeah. Um, we played shows. Not that mm-hmm. many. But we played shows. Um, yeah, enough to be a thing. Enough to be a thing. I was also from sophomore year on, smoking a lot of weed, mm-hmm. like a lot, a lot, a lot of weed. Especially yeah. peaking in junior year of, or senior year of high school, probably. Mm-hmm. And then, by the way, by the time I was like a freshman in college, I was like, weed is for babies. Yeah, yeah. I never liked it to begin with. Uh-huh. I shall now take pills and cocaine. Sure. Sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, we know statistically, right? Like it's not a gateway drug, but 
do you know, sometimes the exception that proves the rule. I think it wasn't that it was a gateway drug. It's that it was just the first thing at the buffet for me. Mm, I was the already plate was big. in line to the buffet. You know, mm-hmm. I was in the market before weed ever came into the picture. Yeah. And I actually never really cared for it. And I was like, there are definitely drugs that don't make me want to kill myself like weed does. Or like, you know, get very frightened in a parking lot, which was my whole smoking weed experience where I was constantly terrified and constantly in parking lots. And and it sounds like constantly doing it and just- Oh, all the time. I've always, I have a terrible habit of, even if I hate something, I will do it like one or 2000 more times just out of pure, I don't like, what else am I going to do? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, which- Sometimes I think our strengths and our weaknesses I'm learning in my late twenties are like basically the same thing. Yes. Um, and so like, you're like, you can't get good at comedy, right? Unless you're going to do it a thousand times after you probably should have stopped. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, you can't know a kid's nonverbal until they're three or four years old. That's what I always say. So like, you got to do, should I be doing this? I got to give it the right amount of time before I can really know. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, okay. So I mean, now I'm just kind of curious because I have some heroin questions. I imagine everyone has heroin questions, right? So like, okay, so by the time you get to college, so you went to Villanova, right? I did, I went to Villanova. Which I don't want to say is not known for heroin, but it's not in when I close my eyes. This is who does heroin, the people at Villanova. You wouldn't think of it as such. I I think Villanova rightly so has a uh, cocaine reputation. Um, Sure. Catholic, rich. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, it's the rich thing is really the thing. And like, that's everybody's doing everybody. Not Mm -hmm. well. No, that's not true. There was actually a a huge subset of Villanova that would do nothing. Like they would hardly drink or go to parties, Mm. They would go to church. Like that was a very common. So then there was this much smaller percentage of Villanova. A lot of the legacy kids Mm -hmm. um, that would, you know, just like, a very traditional hard party in college crew. Yeah. Um, of, you know, which I was firmly in that camp. Yeah. So, but no, I, I think Villanova doesn't have the reputation of um, being a heroin school, but I think it actually did poop out a fair amount of heroin addicts because um, anywhere you do have this proliferation of rich white people, you also do have a fair amount of Oxycontin. Mm-hmm. And that's where mm-hmm. very few people go from zero to heroin. So that I, I it was just like a pipeline. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, I mean, like, that's why, like, we know about the Sackler family and we know about like the drugs in America and like, it's the, like, it's the same pill. It's the same drug, right? We just package it into a dude. Yeah. I mean, it feels very slightly different, but it's literally, you know, legal heroin. Sure. Sure. That we like that our government and our elected allowed to just be like pumped into society. Give it to kids, man. They give it, you know, hydrocodone, yeah. oxycodone. If you, mm-hmm. you know, get an injury as a kid, they'll give you fucking Vicodin or uh Percocet. And yeah. that's functionally the same as heroin, especially because you're like, you have a little baby tolerance. It actually is like you do heroin to make it feel like an eight year old doing a Percocet. Whoa. Okay. So, like, what does heroin feel like? It feels like an eight year old. Precisely one Percocet. Wow. Yeah. I mean, especially, God, when I think about like athletes and stuff, it's like, oh yeah, this is also serving a function. It will allow you to do this thing that you know will make you happy. Yeah. So now you got to do this like bad thing, this potentially addictive thing, because really for the, for the right reason, right? You're like, I'm trying to get back on the field and be happy with being with my friends. And then suddenly. I, I don't think you ever get into anything without thinking it's temporary. 
Mm. You never like, well, this is just going to be what I do every day for five years. Sure. Sure. Like nobody plans for that. And it just sort of like sneaks up on you. Yeah. So you were like, yeah, I'm in college is what we do. We do drugs. Yeah. I'm going to do some pills and do some cocaine. I was doing a ton of ecstasy. Okay. And like all the time, but the problem was I feel amazing, but then you have this horrible calm down and then you really can't like, you have to be really patient with ecstasy. Historically, I've never been patient. So like mm-hmm. you kind of have to give it like a week, two weeks, let the serotonin and whatever build back up in your brain. And then you can do it again and it'll feel like, you know, as good again, mm-hmm. where I would be like on Saturday, I would do it. And then Sunday I would do it. And then Wednesday night, you know what I mean? Like for no reason at all, just cause I had it. I really wanted to do it. I would do it. So like, yeah, I don't know. It got like, by the way, raging red flag, massive, frightening red flags. Um, but sure. so I had, um, right around that time, got my wisdom teeth out and the doctor had given me Vicodin. And mm-hmm. I had like taken, a, I, maybe I had taken like a, uh, a Percocet or something like that beforehand. And mm-hmm. I was probably too drunk to realize like how it made me feel. But then when I took the Vicodin from the dentist, I was like, I need to tell the mayor about this. This is amazing. Oh no. Ring a bell around to everybody. Why isn't everybody taking these make you feel fucking sick. And yeah. You'll get hung over from them. Nobody can tell how fucked up you are from them usually. Yeah. Sort of. Um, Like it was just, it was such a perfect, this is what I've been looking for kind of moment. And then, you know, I I now knowing that I like them, anytime I could get my hands on them, I would. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also, um, it wasn't like, nobody I hung out with was doing either. That's the other Mm. thing. Like it wasn't like super easy to find. And I also wasn't like so immediately hooked that I needed to get it. It was just like, whenever I heard somebody had them, I would immediately be like, Oh shit, I'm going to buy some, Mm. Like you know, five, six of them. Sure. 30 bucks worth. That would last me like a couple of weekends. And then I would just forget about it for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, over time, as you get more access to them, you do start to want them more frequently. And then the thing is, very few people are actually selling Percocet because there's no, there's not a lot of money to be made. The pills are enormous. You can't really snort them. Mm-hmm. So um, I realized like, okay, the only way I'm going to be able to actually do painkillers is if I just start buying oxys or mm-hmm. actually Roxy's. Because by the time I was doing them, Oxycontin already became tamper-proof. So nobody, what is it, in that they were like cracking down on them getting out into the public or so tamper proof is actually like the coating of the pill makes it really, really, really hard to break and snort. Oh, okay. That makes sense. But there's also another one. They did that too called Opana where like, if you, it's like a little briquette, you cannot cut that fucking thing. Mm. And then if, you, if it gets even a little wet, it turns to like this jelly. So you can't really snort it either. Whoa. Okay. There are workarounds though. I used to suck the coating off of those and then I would smush it up and put the kind of gum up my nose. Um, yeah, make, they just, you they just made you be more clever. Make right? you like more they were clever. trying. And way more nauseous for whatever reason. When you do that way, I don't know what about the chemistry of it, but I would fucking Ralph. Yeah, that's um, no fun. Oh no, horrible. Um, yeah. So that, but anyway, at that point, Oxycontin had become tamper proof. So they started the only like immediate release, meaning you could actually turn it into powder and snort it yeah. was Roxy. So it's like a, it's the same. It's still oxycodone, but it was uh, only 30 milligrams instead of 80, which that was the big thing. Like no more eighties. Eighties were like the thing forever. It was 30. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
and they were expensive too, man. It was fucking at Villanova it was twenty five bucks a pill. Yeah, and when I got home, cheap. it was thirty dollars a pill. Yeah, and like, you know, you can't afford that forever. So, what's the cheaper alternative? Mm-hmm. And also, like, strong. You know, you get more bang for your buck with dope, even when it's bad. It's still like ten dollars worth of dope, even like if it's. Like, you know, what I would consider the equivalent of mids to put it in the parlance, the listeners would understand like mids heroin. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's only been mostly stepped on uh-huh. uh, would be like 60 to $90 worth of Oxycontin. Wow. Or Roxy's rather. Yeah. So it becomes like an economic thing, right? If you're rich, you don't care about money. Just keep giving me the pills. I'm not a yeah. heroin guy, but. exactly. It's really fascinating to hear you say that, Dino, because the thing that stood out to me several things, but one of them was like, oh, my friend group, this wasn't like our thing. Right. And I think I have in my head when I hear about, you know, millions of Americans like get addicted to this stuff. A lot of times I think about it like, oh yeah, like all my friends would do this thing. And then um, it was just like part of our culture. But I think that like you have a group of friends who care about you and love you. And they're like, oh yeah, he sometimes does that. It sounds to me. And then it becomes like a secret thing, right? Like they don't know. That's precisely right, man. You you still start hang- like it wasn't like I completely dissociated from my like group of friends, and they were not doing this. You know what I mean? Like I had there was one or two guys that I would actually always like do heroin with, or I'd use with in the parlance of rehab. Yeah. Um, so those were like the guys where I would be very openly. We were like pooling money and like trying to run scams on people to get more money. And like, it was actually like this, these were the only people I could be openly using with. And then my like high school friends and college friends were just like, I was known as a guy that would do drugs and get fucked up, but it was not like they did not know until after I quit and actually like revealed to them. And some of them only found out when I was doing comedy that I was actually doing like full on heroin. They all knew I did pills. But they mm-hmm. never knew that I grew because it's not like something I'm going to volunteer. Like, pardon moi, sir. I need to go buy some heroin. I'll be back. Yeah. Oh, they saw it on my Facebook. Yeah. Like they know. I, I posted exactly. So like, um, but that's how they found out because you know you can't tell. You literally like, no one is going to invite you to their house if they're like you're an active heroin user. But yeah. if if you're known as like just a guy that gets pretty fucked up amongst, by the way, a sea of people that are getting blacked out every you know every single weekend yeah honestly a lot of times i'd be the one that was the most cogent like i i actually just because i wasn't really drinking that much at that point because i was on heroin spending all of my money on heroin so like i didn't have any fucking money for you know to pay for a 13 dollar vodka tonic at hair of the dog or whatever 13th step at like you know 20 21 year old bar to go to um yeah so I would just, I would actually like remember the nights in ways that they wouldn't, which I wow. was very funny. Yeah. Yeah. The irony is that like, dude, you were so fucked up last night. I mean, I was on heroin, but like. I was what? on seven bags of heroin. And I remember with perfect clarity what we did yesterday. Wow. And you don't. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. That's wild. And so, okay. So you're living this like, you know, kind of dual life. It sounds like, right? Like, um, where you have like your heroin friends and you have your, or your heroin group and you yeah. have your high school, college, starting to do comedy, right? Is this like- Not uh, yet. Not yet. I like, I had done a couple of open mics while I was still, no, you know what? I don't even know if I had ever done a mic before, but I had done, I did a bringer. I did a bringer on heroin. Wow. 
Yes. Now, see, was, sorry, P. Holmes, this should be right. <laughs> That's more interesting. And, and by the way, I brought like 30 people to this bringer. So 30 people came to see me. I like, I couldn't remember my jokes. I like, I, they gave me like 15 minutes because I brought so many people and I did like six or maybe five. And yeah. then I just got out of there. Gotham? Um, no, it was Eastville. I used to do Eastville. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I did yeah. that one bringer and then, um, Maybe I did two. I don't remember, but yeah. I definitely like I had done comedy on heroin. And then wow. I went to rehab, didn't pick up a mic for a long time after yeah. rehab. And then I started doing comedy. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what gets you to go to rehab? What's the, like, what, what how did you know you needed to stop? That's a great question. Well, on the one hand, I was doing heroin every day. Like I, I think, <laughs> I think at a certain point you're like, wait a minute. Well, so that, I mean, but the thing is, that's not enough. You do need to like, there needs to be some kind of inciting incident. Yeah. Um, so, but I always found it funny because I, I actually have, I have a bit about this where I bet they, they, and it's a fabrication because people always assume that's the kind of question that would be asked of you at like a rehab or like, you know what I mean? Um, it's not really true. It's not a true story. But I, I always say that when I went to rehab and they were like, you know, how do you know? that you have a problem. And I was like, well, um, I noticed I've been stealing more jewels than usual. <laughs> that's my, I tip that tip me off. Um, so, but that's, that's like one of the things you're just like stealing, you're fucking stealing. Like yeah. I, I would never do this. And it's yeah. like, I like, I like, I sold all of these coins that were like sort of mine, but maybe my mom's too. Like, you know what I mean? I was like doing not cool stuff. Yeah. Um, so that was that. And like, you do have this like constant, like I'm a fucking piece of shit, but the second you wake up with withdrawals, that's all out the window. How do I get today's money to do, to buy today's heroin? And then I'll figure all this out. It was, yeah. there's never like a good time to quit, mm-hmm. but the, like, I need to go to rehab moment was I used to lend my car to my drug dealer while I was at work and really mm-hmm work for me. I was the community manager of a co-working space and people would not notice if I disappeared for like six hours at a click and I was getting paid like $300 a week. It was like, not, this is not a job. Yeah. This is an excuse to go to Manhattan while my drug dealer sold drugs in my car. Wow. And then he would give me, um, well, it started where he would give me oxys, but then when I graduated, he kind of around the same time also started selling heroin. So he would just give me two or three bags of dope. Wow. Okay. And he crashed it. Oh no. So crashed car. How do I explain this? It was in like Baldwin. Oh no. It was in Baldwin at like, you know, 3 PM. So how do I, what's, what's my story for this? Yeah. You're a creative guy. I know I could have, I honestly, I could have probably done it. Yeah. I could have, but it was like, I was so defeated yeah. I was just like, I just need to. So I told my mom, I was like, listen, I'm in something. I don't know how to get out of it. You got to yeah. And she did. That's amazing. Mom, go mom. Yeah. Mom was really, really cool about it. Dad, That's amazing. Not cool about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was uh, not happy. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> Understandably so. But also like to, he was doing, like there was a lot of like, I don't know, uh, 
this is also an excuse to air every grievance I've ever had at you. <laughs> and you're just like, not the time. We can uh, do this later. I know, I know. But it was just like, yeah, I've actually been right about you from the beginning and here's why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Um, the Blue Mom was amazing about it. That's amazing. Because yeah. I think we don't, I think we have theories about people. How will somebody handle something catastrophic without yeah. finding out? And you kind of don't know until it happens. It's, truly, you don't. You you do not. And my mom, but the thing is my mom, like obviously she's very upset and heartbroken and all that. Of course. But like, I don't know. Her and I share this thing where it's like when something like that happens, I like, I go into like, I need to figure this out and then I'll panic. You know what I mean? Like where it's like, okay, do the thing that I have to do immediately. And then let's, we'll talk about what went wrong. Yeah. So you got a triage, right? Yeah. And that's kind of what she did. Like I detoxed, I actually detoxed at my dad's house. Really? Um, I have a bit about this too, where he, cause he used to, this is a, a mostly true story where he would come in my bedroom and ask me what I wanted for breakfast. Cause he would wake up at like 6am and he wanted me to like get into a routine like he had. Yeah. And he'd be like, so what do you want for breakfast? And I'd be like, heroin. <laughs> and he would get really mad. And cause I hated him so much. I was like, at that point, I was like, you know, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, that's what I want. You asked. Yeah. Don't ask if you don't want the answer. I, I, honestly, I was like, yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I mean, like that honesty was also saving you, right? Yeah. Yes. Because that was probably the first time you'd ever. It used to be the your biggest fear, right? I imagine your parents finding out that you're doing this, Dude. and now every morning you're like, "This is what I'm doing." I know that was one of the best parts about. Um, like you become this automaton that's programmed to just like gather money, buy heroin, right? That's the whole mm. thing. And um, part of that is just building these really elaborate lies. Like yeah. this, this complicated, I have to keep track of all this shit. Like who did I, who do I owe money to? What lie am I, like you know, all of this stuff. Yeah. So when you're done, when you're out and you're detox and you kind of have this like ability or um, I guess like court vision of seeing like, when you take all of these things out of my day, I actually like, I can truly relax in the traditional sense where it's ironically enough, when I was on heroin, I was never actually able to like relax in any real way because it was always just like, I don't know. You're always so behind. You're like, you're always catching up. I, who do I owe? Who do I have to make it up to? Who am I lying to? So you can just like actually chill in the traditional sense where I don't owe anybody anything. All I have to do right now is read or like, you know, play a video game. Like I can just without any fear of reciprocity. And it yeah. That's incredible, Dino. Yeah. That's that's a really thoughtful insight. It's it's a real thing, man, because it's like imagine quitting the worst job you ever had. Mm -hmm. It's like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a thing my friends and I talk about all the time, moments in your life when you said to yourself, I got to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. I've had quite a few, I've had a couple of those moments where it's also like when you're doing it, you're like, how in the world did I end up? I remember I was so dope sick and I was sitting in my car waiting for this dude in Atlantic beach to get home. Oh my and God. He kept like giving me the run around. So I get, so, you know, so I could buy heroin from him and yeah. I'm giving me the run around and I'm just waiting, 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 waiting. And it's like 2am and I'm and I have to go to work in the morning and I'm sitting in this car, like sweating, shaking. Cause I'm so, so dope sick. Yeah. And I remember I, I it was one of the few times where I was just like, what am I doing here? Yeah. Like, where explain this to yourself at any other point in your life that you'll be in this position. You can't, you don't even yeah. know where to start. 
Yeah. And it, yeah. Wow, Dino. That's, I mean, it's, I imagine it's a collection of those moments that gets you to tell mom, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you get one or 200,000 of those. <laughs> You're going to want to come clean. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Dino, that's, um, <clears throat> That's a fascinating story. And I'm just so glad that you're, I mean, you look great. You look like you're, we Thanks, do comedy. Man. We, you know, you're living a life. Um, I do. That's, um, that's really encouraging. And I know we've talked casually. So we auditioned on the same night for the comic strip. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, dude. Us and Sam Morrison. Sam and Morrison, Sam Morrison, yeah. And I remember we all didn't pass. And yeah. I remember we walked out of there. We were like, fuck that place. This place is closing. <laughs> okay. So it did close. And I bet, I bet. I don't know if you ever met Jordan Scott Huggins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I bet him in 2019 that the strip would be closed by 2022. Wow. Then $20 and I he Venmo me. I got it. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Screenshot the Venmo, hang it up. Uh, he, do you know what's funny? The first audition that I had, so that was my second audition there. <clears throat> and both times I auditioned there, I had like what I consider to be sets where I should have been passed. Yeah, absolutely. And the first time in particular, it was a much like when we did it, you and I and Sam, it was like a kind of small crowd. They were a little cold, but it was still like, I, I think we all squeezed out some pretty damn good sets. Yeah. And um, when, when I, the first time I did it, though, it was like a big crowd. And I really like, you know, I don't throw this around, but I, like, I really fucking killed. Like I, had I believe you. I've watched you do stand up. Yeah. And um, afterwards he asked me if I was Italian and I said, <laughs> yes. And he goes, yeah, you are, you're an obvious Italian. <laughs> and then he's like, anyway, I can't use you. Oh, no. <laughs> and he fucking sent me packing. I was like, what the fuck? What kind of question is that? Is that not a thing I should be presenting? I, I look, what? Because he's saying it like, he's like, you know, you got to cover that up a little bit, you know? <laughs> you have children here. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Just not a club with no. its eyes on the future. No, absolutely not. Um, and I like to think both of us have our eyes on the future. Yeah, definitely, man. It was just like, I don't know. I understand why the allure for some people of just doing the strip because of a lot of them live in the Upper East Side. It's very nearby. It also like, you know, if you could get your hands on one of those weekend spots, you would be like... You're working kind of a lot, a lot of people. That's some real work, but yeah. you know, the late night stuff, you have to show up a day beforehand to sign up. It's in the Upper East Side too, man. Like I, I've literally only ever lived in Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, so it was, I don't know. I don't even know why I went. That's what, by the third year, I actually like, I went to do a college on the day and I didn't realize that it had synced up with my, my strip audition. And I was like, I'm already doing a co like you would go to do the strip to do the college. So I'm just doing the college. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to go back and do freshman year's final. I'm, yeah, I'm <laughs> exactly. So I was just like, I, I'll miss it. I'm going to, cause I could have actually probably hustled and made it back, but I was just like, I'm just not going to. Absolutely. Yeah. There are things like we all constantly have to weigh, like what is an accomplishment that I actually want to care yeah. about? What's um, worthwhile. And you, like, had you passed, it would have been a great experience. You would have like, but right. you know, this is, it's no, I mean, comedy is no longer like that guy telling people thumbs up or thumbs down, like at the end of dodgeball, you know, it's like, right. Um, that's cool, man. Uh, I just, I also wanted to say one thing. I want to tie in two things that we talked about for a story that you might appreciate. Um, 
and it's a sad one, but I think you'll appreciate it. So <laughs> my dad, one of my dad's jockeys, uh, this guy, Chris Antley, did you ever hear him? Chris, what? Chris Antley was his name. Antley. I don't know if I've heard of him. He was a jockey and he got famous in 99 for winning the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness Oh wow! on, on a horse called Charismatic. And it made national news and it was a big deal. And Charismatic had been bought for like 10 grand. It was like a Oh, wow. Like a claiming horse that yeah. went on to win the Derby and the Preakness. And Antley, when I was a kid, lived in my house because my dad was his agent. Um, and I didn't realize this at the time, but Antley was living at our house because he was trying to detox because he was a cocaine user. Oh, shit. So I was living with him and like my, like the whole family obviously insists, like there was nothing on in the house. Like this was like one of his like clean six months or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but he like taught me how to ride a bike. He was like, he bought me my first computer game. Like he was just like a guy who was, we were living with. He was Chris Antley. Yeah. And um, there's actually a 30 for 30 about this that my dad is in. Holy you, shit. Yeah. You should no check way. it out. It's What's great. What's the name of it? I would love to see that. It's called Charismatic. It's a, it's a, the documentary makes the mistake about being about the horse and not about so much like the human and the human is like the interesting part. Right. Um, but yeah, dad's in it and like talks about Chris and Chris was like, they describe him as like the, um, they describe Chris as like the horse whisperer where like if a horse was acting up, Chris just like had a way with horses where like he could calm him down he could get him to do what he wanted. And he was just like better with horses than he was with people. And so Chris has his reputation and he meets my, I'm going to, I guess we're going to the story now. He meets my dad in Chicago. My dad works for the, for the racetrack and gets, and font gets Chris fined for showing up late to a race, probably because he was drinking or with a like something. Right. And Chris comes out the next day and wags a bunch of hundreds in my dad's face and says, yeah, keep finding me, you know, you piece of shit. And dad's like, you little fucker, like, and later Chris's agent gets busted for selling drugs. Oh shit. And my dad is like, listen, I don't have a job right now. I will work with you. I will, I will be your agent for free for a week. And if you don't like me, like you can fire me. Yeah. Go see anybody else. Exactly. And so they end up working together and they set, they won the most races ever in a day, Guinness book of world record. They won a race a day for like 61 days in a row. Another Guinness book of world record. They were like a really successful combo. And, and this is where the story gets sad. And this is why I want to remind you that like, it's wonderful that you're clean and sober and like have a great life. So Chris wins the first two legs of the triple crown, right? Amazing. Yeah. And on the third leg of the triple crown, at this point, my dad's not his agent because like they just like run their course. Right. Right. Happens. And um, my dad had brought him to rehab with different agent go to, to win the Belmont on charismatic. Right. And the rumor is that Chris has been drinking the night before that he's like not clean anymore and they run the race and the horse breaks down. So the horse's leg breaks and Chris jumps off the horse and holds the leg in place. So they don't have to kill it, man. Yeah. He saves the horse's life. Yeah. Which, and it's a, That's he's amazing. crying on TV. Yeah. It's an incredible. What instincts. Yeah, exactly. And because like Chris is an amazing person and Chris yeah. like, has this relationship with animals that like knows when they're going to be okay or not. Like St. Francis. Yeah. He's literally, yeah. He's St. Francis of Assisi. Exactly. Have you ever been to Assisi by the way? Never. It's the best place on earth. I didn't, I was like, Oh, I'll like it because of St. Francis. It's just like the most beautiful Italian countryside in the world. That sounds amazing. Definitely recommend. They serve boar in their pasta. Fantastic. Oh dude, a boar ragu. I've had that before. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, 
But uh, yeah, so Chris, like the irony of Chris's life, right, is that he saves the horse's life and he can't save his own save life. His own. Yeah. Um, and so like a little while later, he he passes away. But like that's a Chris, like Chris is just like kind of like always on my mind. And like when the documentary came out in college, I was just like, oh, my God, like this person, he was part of my college essay. Like Chris is just always like sort of in the back of my head. Yeah. And why, like, you know, I've had people in my life, friends that have struggled with drug use. And like, it's why I really do. I want to ask questions. I mean, and, and also if we didn't, this podcast, if you didn't bring it up and like, it didn't come up organically. Like I was like, I'm happy to talk about the strip and Adam yeah, Sandler yeah, or whatever. No, no. It always seems to, I can't like, and it's not like I'm doing it on purpose. It's just that so much of my uh, experience is informed by it. Yeah, of course. And it, and I guess it's, it's why I one have a lot of empathy for you. And two, I'm like very proud of you because like, Thanks, you, man. Did a real, you did an impossible thing. Like it is hard. I really, I imagine so. Is that it? Can you talk a little bit about like, like what your life is like now and like your relationship to your past self? Like, I know you do comedy about it, not yeah. just, and like for people who are struggling, right? Or for. Yeah, I've done, I don't like fully, fully work the um, addiction circuit. Mm -hmm. oh, um, but I've, I've done many shows. Uh, yeah. I like at a, there's a couple of community colleges that bring me, you know, around to do something for their program and i've done like a bunch of just around town um but uh yeah, that's great it's more um it felt like a very natural I, I had this preoccupation with ever talking about it on stage i didn't for a long time i would talk sure. about like in a general way like being too fucked up or you know what I mean? Like those kind of stories, but I would never really like say on stage, I was a heroin addict. Yeah. I wasn't ready to be like out, out <clears throat> about it. Of course. Um, but then as, as you know, longer I do it, I, I think also over time, comedy sort of erodes your sense of shame. <laughs> yeah. And just like, you know, one by one. So, um, I don't know. I just started talking about it, man. And yeah. like, it, I think it very naturally being able to um, put it in a way that was palatable and not like harrowing. Yeah. Omitting details, speaking more generally and then abstracting things from it. That's sort of what your, you know, everyday corn cob is more comfortable with. Like, and that was my thing. I didn't want to be like, I don't, I don't think being edgy, is an important thing for comedy. Mm. You know, um, I don't think like, I was interested in authenticity in the way that like, it is my, it's my experience, but it, I don't need it to be like, I don't need to tell you all the, the horrible realities of being a addict because you came here to eat bad chicken fingers and drink $14 gin and tonics. Yeah. You yeah. know? So I just like, it's gotta be funny. It's gotta be, you need to be able to like immediately understand what I'm talking about without really knowing anything about like heroin or drugs or yeah. Um, the only, actually this is funny. So one of the shows I did, I was with um, Patrick Holbert and I was with Hannah Boone. Yeah. Both and great. The woman that worked at the, the college said to us that we didn't talk enough about the suffering. <laughs> and she's this crazy off the boat Italian lady. I can't remember her name. She was like, like we all talk every time we see each other and we're like friends, we still yeah. talk about her, you know, like that's how formative it was. And she was just like, you don't talk about the suffering. Oh no. Like, um, oh, so anyway, no. but that's what I was actively trying to avoid. 
Of course. Uh, of and course. It, I don't know. It all, I think just doing it long enough, you kind of feel out what's going to work, what's not, what's a fucking bummer and what's not. Cause I don't yeah. want to go there either. Of course. Um, I'm like, and when I do like a longer, the, like one time I had to do a half hour and it was for like students uh, mm-hmm. that were in like, they themselves were not, I mean, I, maybe some of them were, but it was people that were part of this program. I think a lot of them were trying to get into social work or like, so, um, in those situations, it actually is okay to tell like some of the less funny, but like kind of scary stories. Yeah. Um, but I, I, anyway, that, that wasn't like my intention as I like, this is just like the thing I happen to do comedy about. And it's also, you know, very autobiographical, which I think, um, I just, it was more an act of necessity than like, I'm out here to do generally more storytelling comedy was, because um, I just can't do observational comedy. It doesn't same. I, I don't know how to do it. I don't. Yeah. I also like. I, like I, you know, when I see good observational comedy, I'm like, yeah, it's good. Um, doesn't really make me like laugh out loud. Laugh, which is also something I'm very interested in. I don't. Mm-hmm. I aspire for like actual, like a belly laugh. You know, that's what I. And I think that I was never able. I was never going to be able to do that with anything but, um, my I don't know stories. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I even see like, I went on a date with someone recently and we had no, we didn't wear masks during the date. And then I drove her home and she wore a mask. <laughs> and even that observation was just like, oh, she doesn't want to kiss. Like, and like, I, you know, it's turning into a bit. Right. But even that observation, I can't do as a bit. I have to do it as, so I went on this date. Yeah. 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 You cannot jump right into that. I don't know how to dude. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I call it a one inch punch. You know, like in Kill Bill when she's got to punch her way out of the coffin. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's how they. I don't know how they do it. Like those guys, these guys that can just like, or you know, anybody they can just drop into these observation jokes. I'm like, how did you? I I needed. I need a runway. I need tarmac. I need. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know how. To, I can't just go from zero to like punchline. And like some of my stories are really fast too. Like I can get to a laugh really fast. Mm-hmm. But I I have no idea how to just talk about an idea and not me. Absolutely. It's, it's, and I think for me, it comes from a place of like, I just like, like being told a story. It's very comforting for me. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's so, it's, it's nice to meet somebody who, who sees it that way because a lot of comics are just like, they just want to do the bit and like, that's fine, but it's just not where my strength lies at all. Yeah. And that's what I mean. I, it's not even like a value judgment thing. I, I, I just think that I had one goal. I wanted to get really like, I wanted to be populist, right? I don't want to be elitist. Mm-hmm. That was very important to me. Yeah. And it, I need, I don't want clapter. Like I actually want like to crush. I want yeah. to crush. That was yeah. like my one thing. And well, that and the other thing, but yeah. um, so it just, I don't know. It naturally happened. Yeah. Without yeah. really me intending it. Yeah. That's really, that's, that's cool to hear. And do you know, like I'm, I don't know, like, um, if you know this, but like, I'm like, what I love is solo shows. Um, and like my first, I did in Edinburgh 2019. I, I remember you did for, I saw on, on Facebook, you were doing French. And I, over there, everybody does a themed hour. It's like the thing. And like Sean Patton was over there. He's like, I've done a themed hour this year. I just wanted to do jokes. And he was like, for me, like this was my new challenge to just do jokes. An hour of like an act, just like a regular act. <laughs> exactly. And Soder went over there and like, did really well because he's hilarious and just yeah. did jokes. But a lot of Americans go over there because it's like, oh, here you can like do the story. 
Right. You can, Renan is really great at that. He, so I'm his manager, like his stage manager. Oh, this, really? that that's show. so funny. He's so, he, his, his, um, he, he's so great with those, like a whole themed hour. And this is such a great writer. There's a million jokes in it. Yeah. His last one, the one that I was like helping him produce and like giving notes on was about drug use. Oh yeah. Yeah. I did his, he did, um, the roast of drugs at the Creek. That was the last time I ever performed at the Creek before it closed. And, yeah. uh, I, I, I was, I was heroin. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. That's yeah. amazing. Um, yeah. He's like a really good buddy of mine and somebody who, and I guess I, I brought up solo shows, Dino, cause I'm like, I want yours. Please do one. <laughs> I guess I could, man. You know what the thing is? I wouldn't really have to, I just need to do more, like develop more of my act because I think that is generally speaking right now, I can do like, I can do a pretty competent half hour and it, it, it would read like a theme thing because like it's, mm. it is all about, you know, this sort of crisscrossing of um, being a heroin addict and being Italian and actually how they all intersect with my dad. Yeah. I mean, that's so again, this is just my experience. When I, I, I got into standup, I wanted to do a solo show because I started, I say in the show the day after it's not technically the day after, but I started the day after I found out my best friend and my ex-girlfriend, like we're in love. Oh God. Like, we're seeing each other. So like, that's my, it's sort of like Pete Holmesian where it's like this thing happens and the next day I do stand up. Right, right, right. And so I got into stand up knowing, hey, I want to do a solo show like Berbiglia and I wanted to sort of like be around this arc, but I didn't know how I was going to do it. And right now the show is unfinished and I'm going to eventually like try to film it or whatever. But the way that it started to come together was I just had like a list of all these jokes I do. And mm -hmm. I realized that I only do jokes, but like four things. Yeah. I, that's, I think it is a thing that people don't realize about themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're going to talk about the things you're thinking about all the time. So yeah. if you're doing comedy, hopefully the right way, right. right. If, unless you talk about like uh, traffic lights and stop signs or whatever, <laughs> um, you're going to be able to, and so like, and then I took the stories I wanted to tell and I just started like mashing shit together. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of what got me, got me cooking. I bet, man. I, I, I think that if you do take a good hard look at your act with some structural doing, you can, and then, you know, more, you can get it there. That's yeah. it. That sounds like the case. Yeah, for sure. And I just can't wait. I mean, I just can't wait to to be doing my show at QED is coming back in two weeks outside. Whoa. So yeah, oh yes. man, I haven't been to Astoria in so long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be great. Well, um, and I'm moving back June 1st to Astoria. So like I'll be in the city and we get to, we get to hang out. Dude. Hell yes. Yeah. So when, wait, what day is the show? The, the show will start. It's actually so funny. I have a call right after this with Lauren, my co-producer. Um, but it's going to be every Thursday starting the 29th. Wow. That's sick, man. I got to go to one of those. Yeah, it'll be great. I mean, we'll have you at some point, of course. Hell yeah. I need to, yo, I got I to do some mics. I'm going to yeah, know. busty, I know. man. I've only done comedy a hand, like, handful of times. Same. I couldn't, I couldn't do commit to the Zoom thing. No, it's, it's a fool's errand, I find. Yeah, yeah. And then like, it's like training for a marathon where it's like, you can't run once a month and then be like, I'm a marathon runner. I'm back. Yeah, yeah. I'm a marathon runner. No, it's like, you got to. I gotta, gotta do I it every day. Yeah. And for me, it's like I would rather do it no times and just like write down ideas every once in a while than do it once in a while. Yeah, yeah. It, it's because it's it, am I doing it or am I doing it enough to feel like I'm doing it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'll just focus on something else. And I, you know, um, two things left. I want to tell my favorite Liam story and the reason why I love Liam so much. So Liam was in the plays and two years older than me and like somebody I always enjoy being around because he's hilarious and talented. And 
the when I the one of the moments where I knew like Liam was one of my favorite people on earth was when there was a kid we went to school with. Let's call him uh, Chris Connors. And <laughs> oh, I know this story. <laughs> where the, well, yeah, and this was just the one I saw. So maybe it's a difference. Where like he was. Chris Connors was really mean to Liam, like trying yeah. to pick on him, trying to make him feel the small. And he calls him the F slur, right? That oh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I see him do this in the science wing upstairs. And Liam just so casually walks by and goes, hey, man, I'm glad we're still talking. Dude, yes. He was, yo, the, actually, Liam, honestly, his problem was that he would like – Somebody would do something like that to him, and then he would like invite more of it. And I'm like, yeah. dude, you are too fragile. Like, I get like you, you could just let it go. Yeah. And then I don't, because guess what? Who's after you get your jaw broken? Who's gonna have to like also fight this guy's friends? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, it's like you're actually putting me in harm's way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. Um, but like for me, I'm like, that's that's uh that's OG status. Liam could do no wrong. He told. Yeah. He, he would just, oh man, he actually like, he kind of like started going after, like he would like fuck with him a lot. Like it wasn't yeah. just that it was, he would all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Not somebody that I, I cared for. No, we'll leave it at that. But I, I mean, think you're alone there either, my friend. Yeah. But Liam was dating all the pretty girls. That's what happens when you date the pretty girls. I mean, Liam's like a, he, he was like a hobo, like a tramp, like a very classic, <laughs> like a very classic, um film tramp that would like roll into your town and like he's have, from the south from this he would just appear and then he would just like have this like very passionate two-week affair with this woman and then he would just be gone that was i lived with him so i just saw these things from the like scoundrels perspective it was so it was, it was honestly amazing that's so funny well matt <laughs> what you can do with a little confidence and a and a bunch of guitars. Yeah. So I did a fundraiser a couple of years ago. I was running a marathon and I was like, this is it. If I don't raise money now, it'll never happen. And he's singing a flight of the Concord song. And my buddy from college leans over to me who had never met Liam. And he used to goes, I think he's having sex right now. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be doing that, man. Yeah. I think about it all the time. Okay. So we always end this pod with just a, the world's fastest uh, fill in the blanks round. Okay. So here we go. The movie my friends and I quote the most is blank. A Serious Man. A Serious The Coen Brothers movie. Yeah. Yeah, I like that movie. Um, the comedian my friends and I quote the most is blank. <sighs> That's really tough. Lately, it's like no one. But I think maybe historically, it was probably Tom Segura. Mm, he's good yeah that, actually no you know what lately it's eddie pepitone lately it is and the threads oh my god eddie, I love eddie pepitone. he's been one of my favorites he might be like like perfect like yeah and he's also he's great on a lot of really good comedians don't really know how to use twitter eddie is so 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 good at twitter he's like the new york george wallace almost yeah yeah he kind where, of is where he has that george wallace uh, was one of the first great like crossover where he was a comedian forever and then was immediately was amazing with twitter yeah yeah he had a he had a wwe tweet the other day that like i was like you know about wwe like this is crazy <laughs> yeah i know like what, what do you do all day um yeah i love mr george wallace um i just wrote the best part about being italian is blank the best part about being italian um 
is that people assume you're passionate. Wow. That's really nice. It's Great nice answer. because with very little passion, I can corroborate this belief they already have about Italians. Wow. I love that answer because I am also a very passionate person and I don't necessarily always say, oh yeah, it's because I'm Italian, but I need to give myself the, that 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 little juice. It's nice. Yeah, I'm Italian. I'm passionate. Yeah, man. Uh, and then my last one is just like a, a stupid hypothetical, um, which is just like, if somebody said tomorrow, Dino, you have to drop everything and you have to go to graduate school, what are you going to study? Is the purpose of this exercise when I go to grad school, is it to um, further a career? Like, it, like no, it, just like, I, what do you want to know? Uh, it's just purely about the pursuit of knowledge. I am financially set. Yeah, yeah. In this, in this, in this scenario, absolutely. I well, that's hard, man. I would love to. I'm more interested in like an independent study, like doing a dissertation on something. So yeah. my background is philosophy. Yeah. So it would probably be I, like I I was English and philosophy in college. So I think I would. I don't know. Now I'm less interested in French existentialism, even though that was my concentration. Okay. Um, I think I would like to do something totally different though, because it was like the, the philosophy, very interesting. The people studying philosophy, not. Yeah. Oh, brutal. Um, a lot of like completely closed eyes while they're speaking. Um, <laughs> I don't know, man. That, that's a, that's a wonderful question. Um, Thanks. I actually would like to, I would like to find a way to write a dissertation, a scholarly dissertation about the flavor of love. <laughs> about, wow. Did, how many seasons was it? It was a few seasons, So right? there were three seasons of flavor of love. It's like, it took me a minute to like process that answer. That's fantastic. There were three seasons of flavor of love. There were um, three seasons of I love New York and then New York had several of her own spinoffs. And then concurrently with that, you have the rock of love, right? Which itself gets several spinoffs. Yeah. Um, including like, you know, um, I think Brandy wants a millionaire, Megan wants a millionaire and then mm -hmm. Brandy of love. And I believe Megan wants a millionaire was the one that was the last of the, of love series because one of the contestants of that show went home and promptly murdered his wife. Wow. Okay. Do they identified her because her fake implants had a serial number? No. Yeah. Oh my Horrible. God. Yeah. Horrible. Anyway, flavor of love. You get Isle of New York. Um, and then Isle of New York has several spinoffs, um, a real chance at love because uh -huh. real and chance were twins that were on the second season of Isle of New York. Uh -huh. um, and then, then my favorite of all of these series, Frank, the entertainer in a basement affair. So he would make the the women stay in his parents' basement with him in Staten Island. Oh my God. He was Pete Davidson before it was cool. Exactly. And it was like the whole show was about him being kind of a fucking loser. It was actually by far the best. Cause it totally like it was, I, it didn't flip the paradigm. Cause I think the, the premise of the show, the show was always predicated on you having to buy into um, this like flavor, flave washed up, you know, in his like, like 50, a lot of these girls are in their twenties, you know, not a handsome dude by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Um, it, it was always predicated on this, like, like in the way you have with wrestling where it's like KFAB where you buy into the fakeness of it, you mm -hmm. have to with the of love series too. 
Mm-hmm. And I actually think the like logical extreme of this was Frank the Entertainer, where he is like such a preposterous loser living in his parents' basement with all these women, and they had to like pretend that he was interesting. Yeah. Now, do you know my one concern is like, are we sure someone in academia hasn't done this already? I, I don't know. That's what I, mean. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I've I've like I've, I've put it on my story before. I'm really like I love this. <laughs> I love this show. I was even like going to, I like started the wheels turning on maybe doing like a Skillshare, like a free class online. That's so um, funny. But I need, I need, I just need more, like I need more of it written down. I only have like two or three pages on actually on this laptop um, about it. And I do have like the beginnings of a thesis going, but it's still not like enough to teach a class. That's so funny. You, you, between your solo show and this, I feel like like your 30s are set. It's like we have yeah. a plan <laughs> for Dino. <laughs> I think both to do both would take me probably most of the 30s. I yeah. I know. Isn't it so funny to be involved in long form comedy when everything's like, I just need 30 second video? Well, it's, it's, it's also, I mean, it could be agonizing where it's like this thing you slaved over gets just bodied by a TikTok of a dog taking a shit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you had you've had some good tweets about that. I think subconsciously I knew that because you I had that tweet one. about the girl from Cincinnati or something. Oh, it was a, ki- a kid from Omaha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was that's But it is. It's like it's a real thing where it's just like, dude, you spent fucking twenty hours with this video, and yeah. like this kid yeah. just like had an idea out in the street and bodied you, bodied you, yeah, fucking ground. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Turnover on downs. You were yeah. just oh. <laughs> Um, all right, Dino, I, I do this whole podcast by hunch. I say, who do I want to talk to? Yeah. And every person so far has been surprised that I asked. Ah! And I think that's a good quality in a podcast. Definitely. And I want to thank you for doing it, man. This was killer. And I cannot wait to see you so soon and yeah, just man. like have a cup of coffee and talk about bits. Hell yeah, dude. I'll come out to QED. That's going to be great. Thanks for doing it, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was so fun. Well, folks, that was an episode of 35 Minutes with Dino DiMartino, though it was not a literal 35 Minutes with Dino DiMartino. Uh, Isn't he hilarious? I just laughed a lot. And I got to figure out my mic setup because sometimes I I feel like with every guest, you can't tell how much I'm really laughing uh, because sometimes the mic cuts out. Um, But yeah, Dino's hilarious. And I learned so much um, about all types of things. And I'm going to include in the bottom a, uh, a link to some resources if you or someone you love is struggling with addiction, because I think that's the right thing to do. Um, but I learned a lot from Dino, and I hope you guys did too. It was really fun to, uh, God, to, uh, to hear what he has to say. And it's so encouraging to see, um, to see how good he's doing, because he's, uh, God, he's a sweet boy. And, uh, he made me really excited to see him in the future. So thank you so much for listening. Give me five stars, write a review. It all helps post in your Instagram story and just tell other people from high school. Even if it's somebody you don't think will listen or like it, you know, like even if it's like, um, who's a random person from high school, even if it's like Matt Mulligan, like, Hey, Matt Mulligan, here's a podcast, you know, like who knows what he's doing. I don't know. He's just the first person that I thought of. 
in middle school, he had a, uh, in the yearbook, he wore a Ricky Williams jersey backwards in his school photo. And I still think it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my entire life. Sometimes you can't, sometimes you try to write jokes your whole life. And then you're like, actually, Matt Mulligan peaked jokes. He got out ahead of them in the eighth grade yearbook. Sometimes you can't beat it. And that's okay. So share it with your friends, whether or not it's Matt Mulligan, good golf name. And uh, I appreciate you all and health and happiness to everybody. As I'm recording this, the Knicks have run seven in a row. Don't make me regret saying that. I hope I didn't reverse jinx them. No, they definitely beat the Hawks tonight. Have a good night, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Bye.